Matthew with the Tractor Beam Comics Review here on the Ion Cannon Podcast. We got four comics this week, so sit tight, buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride. First, we've got Darth Vader, number 24, written by Greg Pak, with art by Marco Castiello, and cover by Paul Renault. Similar cover, interestingly, to uh, the uh, Crimson Rain, number 5. Kind of, you know, Vader and, uh, and Kira kind of looking over the board, kind of staring at each other. Got to mention the uh, Handmade Heavy Pride variant by Kei Zama. Publisher summary, someone's been to Polis Massa. Someone's heard Padme's last words. Someone knows Vader's deepest secret. What happens when the Dark Lord of the Sith finds out? Meanwhile, a colony of refugees from a certain sandy planet struggle under the rule of an imperial governor. Will their connection to Vader's past be their salvation or their doom? Plus, the shocking return of two of Anakin Skywalker's oldest friends. First off, I gotta say this uh, description is kind of confusing because it sounds like the description from last issue. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but who knows? Maybe something got messed up in the works, gunked up in the works. Either way, uh, this issue definitely picks up on what we discovered with you know Kitster and Wald on this planet of refugees, of slaves from Tatooine. So, continuing that wonderful connection to everything with Queen's Hope and Queen's Peril, especially uh, by E.K. Johnston, the interconnectivity of, of these two comics. I'm still loving that. The biggest bit of interconnectivity is the way they're using Sabe to uh, continue to flesh out Vader's memories of Anakin. And after watching that play out in Kenobi, uh, I you know definitely appreciated seeing more flashbacks, more of confrontation in Vader's mind between uh you know, or between you know the, this view of, of Vader as this Dark Lord of the Sith, and what Padme represents for Anakin's soul, bringing Anakin back. Remember, again, this is set after Vader's confrontation with Luke on Cloud City. Uh, join me. This first real heartfelt interaction between potentially between Anakin and his son, and so. Uh, the crack, you know, again, I'll, I'll repeat what I said on the Iron Cannon podcast with Kenobi. You know, Ahsoka sees one crack. Obi-Wan sees another crack. Uh, you know, Sabe sees kind of a, a, a metaphorical crack because in her memories to Padme. And then, of course, this is all ultimately leading to Luke. Help me take my mask off. So uh, amidst all these other characters, it's great to see... Uh, see this focus on Vader's character himself and great job by Greg Pak, even as it's part of the Crimson Rain banner. All right, moving right, right along Afra number, Afra number 21 written by Alyssa Wong and Minkyu with art by Minkyu Jung with uh, cover by Scott Forbes, Japanese creator variant. This is another pride variant because like I said last week, every, every issue of, of Afra is, is a pride issue. Um, <laughs> uh, Japanese creator variant by K, also by K Izama that has Afra and Santa on the cover, um, so you know it, it gets there anyway. The uh, publisher summary called this issue is called "Desperate Measures." The spark eternal corrupts everything it touches, and Doctor Afra is no exception. Face to face with an ancient malevolent presence, Santa Staros will have to make a choice: Can she save Afra? Can she even save herself? And this uh, this issue had to pick up on that wild conclusion to the last issue where Afra gets, as, as this issue says, uh, possessed by the Spark Eternal, uh, the way that the Ascendant were maybe possibly finally able to develop some sort of analogous force power. 
loved seeing this story continue. Um, you know, the you know, you have especially the, this weird thing, you know, Afra, this is a different character from Afra. Afra is not this uh dark, malevolent character. She's she's the sneaky, you know, trying to cut get the angle, get the get the score with a bit of a heart and a lot of a heart. And um, I'll say touch on that point of of all her heart and her relationships she ends up breaking all these relationships but uh we see sana and co go and search out everyone who she has abandoned and left but people who still have a loyalty to her still have a connection to her um especially her her father and the girl she picks up on uh that other planet when she was with triple zero um this little kid that she's kind of took under her wing um and of course at the end uh the the imperial officer whose brain was mind washed i don't know why i'm blanking on her name i'm gonna even open the issue right now so just so i can get this right you can see me fiddling with the paper here hear me fiddling with the paper i gotta I gotta open this up gotta open this up sorry guys magna tolvin there we go sorry <laughs> this is gonna be a longer issue so i'm taking that time to do this uh longer episode um Magna Tolvan, who, you know, we last week saw, she was, uh, I mean, she she uh, encountered a boar, a boar, like the boar gullet, and her mind was wiped, and now she's in rebel custody, probably hope, helping the rebellion somehow, in some way, shape, or form. Um, and just like Sana was connected to the rebellion. That being said, Sana and Co. are still, or at least Sana herself is still beholden to uh, Domina Tag because Afro was was in cahoots with Domina, and so all the machinations about this very powerful, very imperial loyal company and family that we see uh, with the you know with everything with with Bush and and uh, getting hunted down there, and then everything with with Just Lucky and that connection tying everything back into Crimson Dawn, yeah everything seems to me this too even as this wild spark eternal crazy thing crazy dr afra-esque thing is happening uh, i should say the character of spark eternal isn't like afra the thing that happened is incredibly afra for her to just go for it and touch the thing and, and get whatever weird thing happens that made sense uh again all of this both vader 24 and afra 21 hurtling towards this sort of this new phase this new thing moving towards hidden empire is crimson rain done is it going to reach this epic conclusion again from last week crimson rain number five didn't quite do that it really just set things up for hidden empire but uh you know i it, it was this was a bit more satisfying at least the afro comic was the vader comic again it paused a little bit on the action um I mean, not so much i mean there was still hunting down the imperial that imperial governor who's of course also crimson dawn um but where is this going is this dragging on too long is a question i think people can possibly start asking maybe we just expect um this big climactic finale that may not happen for another year because of hidden empire so who knows or maybe you know saving all the climactic finales for return of the jedi we will see, we will see. Going back in time now to Han Solo and Chewbacca number three. This is written by Mark Guggenheim with art by David Messina and cover by the great Phil Noto. I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. Han is trapped on the top floor of a skyscraper with security guards closing in on him. How will he escape? 
would you believe asking the Galactic Empire for help? And this issue ties directly into Crimson Reign number three, starring Kira and the Archivist. And will Han reunite with his first love? I'm going to spoil this right now and say, no, he doesn't. <laughs> she, she, we barely see Kira at all. We just see kind of her back through the, the quad knocks. The archivist has a very minor role, but it, you know, it's a fun little tease uh, for the, the Sava watch. Uh, the archivist, who knows why she has the urn of this, uh, you know, th th this magnate on Corellia where she's in her booth and, Clearly, at this point, it's a, we get a bit of a timeline for when Kira and uh, Sava Madeline Sun have met up. So that that is helpful. However, the main focus here on Han, I really appreciated how it shows this intermediate between the the wet behind the ears we see of him in Solo and the grizzled, uh, somewhat cynical but very clever, intelligent Han we see in A New Hope. He has kind of both in that way. He's he's fun and playful. I mean, Han has always been fun and playful, but he's fun and playful in this in this issue. But also uh, is very clever in, in knowing how to trick the guards into or the, even the the uh, the the paramedics into making bringing the ambulance so he can actually break out and escape through the ambulance, which. You know, don't do that in real life. That is terrible. But if you're um, Han Solo being trapped by, uh, you know, in the in the tower of a skyscraper of, of a magnate, uh, trying to heist something for some connections to the job of the hut. Yeah, you, you you know, it's underworld. It's 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 already crime. The the actual government itself is a, a criminal organization anyway, called the Galactic Empire. But <laughs> that's also almost besides the point. Uh, enjoyed this issue. Again, nothing, not too much to do with the archivist, but again, a fun little tease there. Who knows? Maybe, maybe later issues, uh, her and Kira will come back kind of exploring Han. I mean, we know he still has this emotional bond with her, but left that behind. I should mention, yeah, the, the, the lessons from Beckett are clearly, clearly there, clearly at play. Uh, speaking of which, the lessons from Beckett, we get uh, Han's supposed father. He is shot. We don't know if he survived, but he's shot by uh, one, the one and only Kersant. And, and so we're getting finally the tease. I think David Messina or Phil Noto uh, tweeted out, or maybe it was Mark Guggenheim, uh, this photo, this art of Kersant in, in the Han Solo comic. We're getting another Kersant and Chewbacca fight, I think, is coming up. Which, you know, I mean, you know, how do I feel about fights? They're fine. Um, but there's something epic and special about Kersantin and Chewbacca because Kersantin is meant to be kind of the, the anti Chewbacca. So looking forward to that in next further issues last, but certainly not least, um, Obi-Wan number one came up before the series started. Obi-Wan number two came out after the series started. It doesn't necessarily directly tie into, uh, the, the show, but, um, still keeping with the, you know, the, the Obi-Wan character and all the, the, the momentum from uh from from the show and all the marketing synergy that you know Lucasfilm and, and Del Rey and Marvel and them are, are, are really great at doing. Okay. Uh, issue number two, written by Christopher Kentwell, art by the great Luke Ross, cover again by by Phil Noto, Pride Variant by Derek Charm, with Dr. Afra and Kofon Ferris. Or sorry, it's with Kofon Ferris, who is the non binary uh, character in the Afra comics, as I mentioned before. Obi-Wan number two, called The Dark Side of the Moon. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan answer to the distress call of an outpost on the edge of the galaxy 
What's the secret behind the devastation wrought upon the terrifying moon base? Will whatever plunged it into darkness pull a Padawan off his enlightened path? And there are two specific things I want to talk about. First of all, the the atmospheric dark thing that's going on, the radiation thing that's happening. I don't know if that's scientifically possible, but it reminded me of that moon in um, uh, the, the, the Rebels prequel novel uh, with Kanan and Hera, how... It's, that one was, was always locked on the dark side of the moon and, and uh, a new dawn that's the name of the novel and you know we can there's some artificial way that's keeping this planet in in physical darkness that is a metaphor look a metaphor for uh, spiritual darkness um, inability to actually see who the person in front of you is see uh, that this person is a person and you know, I mean, in, in A New Dawn, it was the miners in the caves and all that. In this, it's this other character who, uh, you know, Obi-Wan goes and explores and is kind of the creepy horror thing of uh, this monster. I mean, this is kind of a werewolf story. I think this is how it was built. It feels like a werewolf story. We're led to believe is this guy transforming between a humanoid and, and some kind of wolf. It turns out it's just a, a wolf dude. <laughs> and, uh, but the thing is, once they fix the, the whole lighting situation, when they turn the lights on, they fix the radiation, that even affected their, their lightsabers. And that's uh, that's an interesting metaphor you know, for, for the, the, the shroud of the dark side falling across the galaxy, even, that Qui-Gon was already able to pick up on. You know, we see in the, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but in the Age of Republic, Age of, yeah, Age of Republic comic by Jody Hauser, Qui-Gon's already beginning to feel that. Anyway, once they, once Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan resolve the radiation, able to see, you know, this is just a, a guy uh, who, you know, was kind of, kind of got uh, stuck and, or whatnot. And, and another character who the, you know, affected his brainwaves and whatnot. But anyway, so that, that was an interesting little nod to, uh, to A New Dawn and to uh, other comics there, you know, the Age of Republic comic, at least in my mind, I see this parallel. Another thing I want to say, oddly enough, is, about the language, and I mean literally the language of Qui-Gon quoting in, in this weird, weird elevated language. I, I, I flipped through, but I don't want to find an example. But you, I think it's throughout that Qui-Gon has this, uh, I, I thought him, or even, even Obi-Wan's own narration, I thought him a monster. And Qui-Gon having these kind of longer soliloquies of wisdom. What this, I think, is going on there, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm just see what I did there, reading words, text, uh, dialogue, <laughs> uh, reading maybe too much of this, but, um, this is again, the framing device of Obi-Wan in his hut decades later, remembering an event from maybe 30, 40 years ago. Right. And what, obviously you're not going to get the gist, uh, or you're not going to get the word, the actual quotes. You're not going to remember that from 40 years ago from Qui-Gon. What you are going to remember are the lessons and the wisdom that's imparted there and he he's recalling this recounting this as an older man trying to make a grand sweep of his life and especially of Qui-Gon's influence in his life as we know uh this is something we do know with the with the show Qui-Gon has returned for the last 10 years in his force ghost but the wisdom the uh, the the lessons have always been with him Qui-Gon's lessons have always been with Obi-Wan and so the I think the the use of the language linguistic style on the part on the part of Christopher Cantwell is to uh, 
to to communicate the grandeur and the 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 depth of Qui-Gon's influence on Obi-Wan's life in being open, being mindful of the light, being mindful of the living force, being mindful of the present. And we see that really wonderful moment at the beginning. And I say wonderful is difficult for difficult for Obi-Wan, you know, Padawan Obi-Wan in the moment. He kids getting distracted by the weird, creepy stuff going on and uh, trying to figure it out too quickly. And Qui-Gon says, this has to snap him back and say, no, uh, you know, focus on the, the thing in front of you. And, um, you know, that definitely does carry on through, through Obi-Wan's life. Um, you know, you know, especially what we see in the, in the series, right? We see the, the, the mission for Leia to rescue Leia is the thing in front of him. And then to let Luke be a kid, not have delusions of grandeur for Luke, but also, uh, to say he's the one in front of me to to train eventually and and go to Alderaan and and uh, join the Rebel Alliance himself or or send them off to join the Rebel Luke and Leia off to join the Rebel Alliance. Um, that lesson definitely carries with him, and so yeah, we we see a little bit of that. We see a bit of its origins in uh, in this issue, and again, looking forward to what more we see next next issue uh it, it's gonna be a clone war story we got cody we got the uh the the shoulder armor that we saw him get pick up in brotherhood of course we've seen it all the way through clone wars um it's gonna be a gonna be a wild ride gonna be a fun ride clone wars obi-wan is always this different general kenobi uh part of his life part of his psyche part of his identity and so uh looking forward to that i mean he's already a master at that point so that is what the tractor beam dragged in longer episode four issues what did you think of dr afra what did you think of vader and, and his you know all the padme stuff there what did you think of han and uh the the looming battle with kersantan what did you think of obi-wan and qui-gon facing the dark let us know on twitter or instagram at ion cannon pod uh, after this mother load, we've only got one more com- one comic next week. It's the Halcyon Legacy number four, the Galactic Star Cruiser tie-in. Uh, that is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Will Sliney and cover by E.M. Gist. I spotted Lando and Hondo's names on the previews world there, so we'll, we'll see when that's set and, and how and why. Pop by your local comic book shop for physical copies of the books I reviewed today and for next week's comic. Or if digital is more your speed, then click the links in the description below. As always, please like and subscribe to the Ion Cannon and Culture Slate YouTube pages. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ion Cannon Pod and at Culture Slate. Keep it locked on the full Ion Cannon podcast coming to you this and every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Special note this week, we are joined by Doc Holocron and talking all about the Crimson Rain crossover event. Looking forward to extending the tractor beam all the way into the main show. But until then, happy Canada Day. Happy reading. <laughs>